the ideas, the leaders, the lives that are shaping Denmark and the world. From Blocks Hub in Copenhagen, Denmark, this is Global Denmark. Welcome back to the Global Denmark Podcast. We explore how thought leaders and innovators are working to create a better Denmark and a better world. Well, guys, I am flying solo now. It's a lonely journey here at the top or the bottom, depending on how you look at it. But on I go, though the weather may be foul. Right. So in this new Brave Post-Ed world, I had the pleasure of speaking with one of our distinguished alumnus, Mr. Kilt Jensen. Kilt, as you may remember, has done a lot of things in his very distinguished career. With over 30 years of experience, he is a uh, negotiation and trust expert, prolific author, having written and published 24 books in 36 countries, worked for companies such as Lego, B&O, Nova Nordisk, Johnson & Johnson, Maersk, several governments and NGOs in terms of consulting. So he knows what he's talking about. In this wide-ranging conversation, we discussed what Kelt's been doing with his newfound time due to corona and having canceled his world speaking tour and his lecturing at universities, including his uh, new pamphlet, 101 Excuses, and negotiating in a time of crisis. Also, we talked about do's and don'ts in terms of negotiating online. We compare Denmark and the United States in terms of managing distributed workforce as a result of this crisis and how trust will influence businesses and societies going forward. Lots of good stuff here and hope you enjoy. So without further ado, we give you Kelly Jensen. All right, we are back. I am on the phone with our alumnus, Mr. Kelly Jensen. Kill, thanks so much for calling in from the United States of America. How are you doing? I am doing okay, everything considered. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for having me. There's always that caveat in this very strange COVID-19 time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so tell me what you're up to. I, I know you're, you're a guy who's going around on the speaker circuit and you teach. What are you doing these days with your time and has everything been canceled? Mm, um, the short answer is yes, everything has been canceled. <laughs> um, I was actually counting just to make everybody depressed, Thomas. I was actually counting <laughs> That's what we tried to three do. weeks. In, yeah, exactly. <laughs> three weeks into this whole thing, I had received 36 cancellations globally for speaking events and, and training. So uh, obviously it's a global thing and it happened very quickly everywhere. So it was like, I heard the governor of California saying this happened like switching off the light. And that is true. And then he added something else, which I think is a wonderful quote. He said, when we get back on track, it will not be like switching on the light. It will be like turning on a dimmer slowly. Mm. And um, I completely agree with this. It was like turning off the light, just like that. So back to your question, I'm sitting at home looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm not laughing because you lost all those engagements. That's, that's tough. I know. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what it's like in the States in terms of the government's recovery efforts, but I know in here mm. they're doing um, compensation where they're uh, reimbursing yep. about 80% of, there's different there's different measures, but in terms of lost revenue compared to last year. Is there yep. any help in the States for businesses, for consultants? Yep, yep, yep. You might've heard that they were negotiating back and forth and finally came up with $2 trillion. I don't even know how much money that is, $2 trillion. And out of the $2 trillion, 350 of those are going directly to smaller companies with less than 500 employees. And that means that, 
company like my own, we will actually get, we haven't got it yet because it takes time, but right. you'll get two and a half month compensation for each employee, employee that you had or have. And if you remain people employed during this thing and eight weeks into the future, it will be converted from a loan to a grant. So that means it will just be a okay. gift from the federal government. Okay. That's one area they're helping out. Another area is that they have, as you might have seen in the media, sent out a stimulus check. Yep. So every single American that is registered and have paid tax or have been at least been registered to pay tax will uh, receive $1,200. That is another big chunk that is coming out to everybody. And I think it, it helps. The uh, The challenge is obviously looking at it from a federal point of view. It's, it's, it's a crazy amount of money for the individual company and individual person it's really not a lot so um let's see where it takes us and how long this will uh, will continue and then i can tell you three months from now whether it was good or bad yeah i know the uh the situation in the states they're leading the world in both mm. confirmed cases and deaths by a pretty substantial margin now what's the mood right now i guess you're in the state of arizona correct Yep, yep. We see that there's increased protest to reopen the economy, but at the same time, mm. have the, this high death rate. I mean, what's going on? Mm. Well, you I, you probably know the U.S. better better than me, Thomas, but it, it's a huge country. Not so anymore. that means it varies a lot from one end of the country to, to the other. You have states where, you know, it's really not bad. Then you have places like New York where it's been really bad. I would say the mood depends on where you might be in the country. And it very much depends on the governor and the state. I think what we have found during this time of crisis is that people have more faith and trust, talking about trust, in their local state government than they do in the federal government. I don't want to get into politics, but whether that's down to Mr. Trump or not, I can't say. But I just get that feeling from everywhere that people in general listen to the governors and respect the governors and in, in most cases agree with the with the uh, toolbox that the governors and the state government is using. That's Whereas really the federal government has actually, I think they have been, I think they've been slow. I think they have been very inconsistent in their communication. And I just read a study actually just the other day saying that trust to the federal government had declined once again. So I think majority of Americans don't feel the federal government has been there really. I can imagine, you know, when your mobility is, you know, limited that you begin to shrink the way you are looking at your local power structures and who can actually get keep your supermarket open and these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so what, what are you doing with your time then? It seems like you've gotten a, a windfall of bonus time you weren't anticipating. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Well, part of it, I am fighting my kids at home because they're at home as well, obviously. And, and suddenly when you have small kids at home, that takes up a lot of time. I, I've got renewed, <laughs> exactly. I, I've, I've renewed my, my faith and empathy and respect for teachers and daycare institutions. I mean, that's amazing what they're doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I'm, when I'm trying to keep my kids alive, I got two boys here. I actually doing work with clients because I have received an increase and I would say increase with a capital I interest in online negotiation and how to collaborate online, obviously from around the world, because every, everybody's been sitting in a situation where they've been stuck at home and they still need to, to try and make the company work. So they suddenly need to, to negotiate online. That's one thing I'm doing. And the other thing I did yeah. is I managed to finish two, I wouldn't even call it books, but, but big pamphlets, one on negotiation in crisis. And the other one is basically um, a shortcut to uh, eliminate your own excuses to prevent yourself from being successful, kind of 101 excuses 
uh, to block your success. And um, I did not go through a publisher because I wanted them out on the market as quickly as possible. So yeah. I self-published uh, through Amazon and kept the price as low as possible. So the price is $1.90 because I don't want anybody to use the excuse that it's too expensive because right. both of them are really meant to help. Okay, why don't we break it down a little bit? 101 excuses. There's a lot of people that have a lot of time now at home. What are, what are the major barriers you're seeing, major excuses? Mm, yeah, no. It's a very subjective book. I have to warn everybody. So it's, it, I, basically, I basically use myself as a model. So what kind of excuses have I used in my own life, throughout my life? And what are the main excuses I've heard other people use? And, and you know, that, that's a lot of different ones, Thomas. One of them could be, you know, I don't have the right network. Another one that is very much in fashion right now is that I don't have the capital. It's the wrong time to start anything. I don't have the financing. I can't get a loan. You know, there's tons of these. And so that's why I basically just try to limit it to 101 and say these are the typical one. And, and the important thing, Thomas, I think that's important, is that I'm not just listing the excuses. I'm actually trying to come up with a tool to solve them as well. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's interesting that the more time people get, the more excuses that pop up for why something should not happen. Mm. At least yeah, that's what you, I hear you, from a lot of people. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I've been spending quite a lot of time in the U.S. now. And um, as you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen as well. So I came to love this country as, as my own, but can still look at it from the outside. And the amazing thing about Americans, and, and you know that as well, Thomas, that they are incredibly resourceful the second they're being put under, under some kind of pressure. Yeah. So that means that crisis right now in the U.S., which is severe and, and very serious, actually makes people become very creative. I'm seeing the most outstanding creative ideas where I'm just going, well done, you know. And that, that happens within technology and grocery stores and delivery and logistics. And uh, everybody's just pulling together, really. So it's amazing what a crisis can do to, to people as well. Yeah, I'm really, I'm seeing it too, obviously. But uh, just uh, when this crisis ends to kind of take stock of what kind of changes or a result of it that are now going to change our lives forever in hopefully a positive way through new innovation. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating. And I, I know one of the accelerating factors that is happening now a lot is distributed workforces. You know, mm -hmm. people physically can't meet. Um, yeah. So there's companies now that are by necessity having to run a distributed workforce. What are your insights on this? Because obviously meeting online and meeting in person are two different universes. Oh, absolutely. Let me just take one step back before that. That is, I would claim that the U.S. has been a little bit ahead of that compared to Denmark, simply because of technology dash uh, size of the country. So typically, I would say that Americans for years have actually been meeting online more than I see Danes have. And they have been conducting training and negotiation and meetings online for a longer time than Danes have. And, mm -hmm. and I think there are several reasons for that. Danes obviously are very high tech, so it's not because of technology. I think it's just been because of tradition and location. I mean, everybody's so close to each other in Denmark, right? I mean, it's not really trouble to, to jump into your car and, and go to Aarhus from Copenhagen. That's easy. Whereas if you have to go from yeah. the West Coast to East Coast in the U.S., obviously you're gone for three days, right? So, I mean, that by itself requires that you suddenly go online. So that's one thing. So Americans yeah. are not, they're not shell-shocked about going online because they've kind of been accustomed to it. What I do see, though, that they're a little bit shocked is that <laughs> I think there's a lot of workplaces that have realized that, hey, we can actually have people working from home. 
And I think that has been a little bit less normal compared to, to, to Denmark to have that flexibility. And there will be a lot of companies, at least in the US, but I believe that will happen in Denmark, exactly as you said, Thomas, that will realize that, hey, why do we need people in the office every single day during the week? You know, mm. is, is that necessary? And I don't know, Thomas, if you've seen the, uh, the pictures from the infamous 405 in, in Los Angeles, the, big in, the biggest parking spot in the world, no. um, that, that has been completely empty. And, and, you know, that has never happened before. And that is one of those 10 lanes freeways, you know, that are just crazy oh, yeah. busy all yeah. the time. But it is completely empty. And that tells you something about that Americans suddenly are staying home. And one, I think that they, some of them kind of like it. And secondly, I think it will change the culture and the behavior. I actually had a chat with them. Mm. With, the, with a professor from Stanford just a couple of weeks ago who is an expert on behavioral change. Yeah. And, and she told me that people, and that's not a surprise, people have a hard time changing, especially changing themselves. But it takes time if you want to do it. And we do it really well if it's unconsciously changed. Mm-hmm. And she said, this period we've gone through now globally, whether you're sitting in Denmark or the US, has actually made a behavioral change that we don't even realize. When we're coming out of this, it will be normal to sit at home to, to work. It will be normal to negotiate online. It will be normal to take training classes online. It will be normal to go to conference online. There'll be a whole lot of things where we have just leap jump into embracing technology in a different way than we would just six weeks ago. So that's actually, I think she's right. And I think that's remarkable. Yeah, it is remarkable, you know, that uh, something can become a system one kind of default mode at yep. hyperspeed because of a pandemic. Yep. I want to put a flag in that right there because you said negotiating online. Now, in our first podcast, we, um, we kind of targeted in on what is the art of negotiation. And I know you've obviously written books on this. Negotiating online. Tell our audience, what are some do's and don'ts and how does this differ from negotiating in person? I would love to because it is actually different. So you might be a great negotiator face to face, but suddenly moving from the conference room to an online negotiation is, is a very different thing that you, you have to be prepared for in a different way. Now, a lot of studies shows us and tell us that the personal face-to-face contact is important. And that's basically how we read and understand each other. Because a lot of the reason that we interpret or get a message from another person is actually coming non-verbally. So that's the body language. Yeah. Obviously, we typically don't have that on a, on a phone call or just a webinar. We can obviously switch on the camera and, and then do an online conference. But it's still not the same thing as we're meeting face-to-face. What we have to deal with then is the tone of voice and then the word by itself. And all the studies I've ever seen in the world all agree that the content of what we're saying means the least. And in some cases, we're below 10%. So so the reason that we will trust or like somebody is not so much based on what they're saying, but how they're saying it non-verbally through the tone of voice and body language. So obviously, that's the first challenge we're going to have the second we move online compared to -to face-to-face. As you know, Thomas, one of my fields of of expertise is trust and connection to negotiation. And there's no doubt that trust is harder to establish online. Now, my recommendation in connection to online negotiation is actually kind of a stupid one because I recommend that you try not to. And uh, I understand that, especially in these times, we have to. But by saying that, 
I would advise, and I've been doing that to all my students and clients as well, if you have a really important negotiation, I would park it. I would postpone it until we can actually meet up face-to-face. Yeah. I have nothing against online negotiation, but I, I believe they should be a, a part of a, a series of negotiation where you at least have one chance to meet somebody face-to-face during that process. Yeah, um, establish that initial trust they can carry exactly. over. Yeah. Exactly. And then when you've done that, you know, when you have met, you, you and I, we met in Copenhagen, we have a kind of a relationship to each other that would be different yeah. if we never met physically. And I would copy that into the world of negotiation as well. Now, I do understand in some cases that is not a possibility, especially right now. Then we have to combine the tools we have to negotiate online. And unfortunately, Thomas, way too many people feel that online negotiation is emailing. We actually did a study, which we actually did uh, prior to the coronavirus. And we were shocked by discovering, uh, and that was a global study, that 70%, 70 70% of all negotiations globally were already handled virtually. And out of those 70%, 41% was conducted by email. And I can only say Hmm. one thing, that's not good. Because email, again, is a great tool for a lot of stuff, but handling negotiation by email is a no-go. One of the many reasons I, I just mentioned, obviously, you can't read, understand, or see the counterpart. And the second part is it is the worst tool to handle conflicts, disagreement, and confrontations. It's not a great tool for that. Pick up the phone or go to an online conference tool to do that instead. So one of my, hopefully, takeaway for the listeners for your show is is stay away from email negotiation. Obviously, you can use emails as a confirmation tool in between meetings by phone or conference, online conferences, but don't keep your negotiation by email. That's, That's not a great idea. Now, I imagine that the reason that percentage is so high is for the explicit reason that people are naturally trying to avoid a conflict. I would agree with you completely, Thomas. That is one of the reasons that we have clearly identified as well, because obviously you, you, you basically see the same behavior with people on social media. They're very brave on social media when they can hide behind the screen and, and the keyboard. But, but the second you meet them face to face, you know, they are yeah. not as brave as they were online. And you're absolutely right. It's the same thing we see in, in emails. So let's talk about this crisis and what it's going to mean in terms of negotiations and the economic impact of this. I can imagine there's going to be a huge increase. What type of negotiations do you think we're going to see a lot of if we're not already seeing and how how to approach them? Yeah, well, I actually did an article last week where I was out warning that I already see now that a lot of attorneys globally are are stepping up, waving the contracts in the air saying, you know, there's a breach of contract. We have to sue. And and, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, well, obviously they're doing what they're meant to do and they're doing what they're trained to do. But I don't think it's the time to go to court because nobody, well, I'm saying nobody, that that's not fair. Majority of everybody are in a tight spot. They are not violating the content of the contract on purpose. They just didn't have a choice. So Mm. I don't think the time right now is for us to dive into contracts and look at specific clauses and say, you broke this clause and you should have done that. I think we are in a time, and and I just love the phrase that so many people are using globally, that we are in this together. And and I really advise everybody to remember that we are in this together. Mm. And the only way I believe we can get out of it as winners is remember we are in this together, so we have to help each other. And I'm not saying that to sound naive, but but my approach into negotiation is the method we've created called smartnership, which is basically an advanced smartnership where... I think we talked about it at at our last meeting, Thomas. I'm in it to help you become more successful and I expect you to be in it to 
to assist me become more successful. So mm-hmm. we should change the mindset of negotiation. And, and that is regardless whether we're negotiating online or in the physical world, because if we can help out, it will just become better. And, you know, we have in, in a crisis, what always happens is that it makes some people worse and it makes some people better. And I've seen both in the US and probably the same in Denmark. I have seen companies reaching out with no profit intention and helping out other organizations. I've seen them reach out and, for instance, decline rent pay uh, saying, no, do you know what? Um, There was a big owner of a mall here locally that reached out and said, you know what? All the shops here, you don't pay rent for April and May. And obviously they were interviewed and they said, well, we're doing it partly for selfish reasons and we're doing it partly to help our clients because if we actually are in a situation where some of our renters can't pay, then we have to evict them. And by evicting them, we have an empty store. And when this crisis is over, then we have to go out and find another company to come in. And that might be requiring a, a, a lot of resources and cost a lot of money. So we would rather have them stay at no rent than going through all that trouble. So I, I just have a lot yeah. of examples where people really reaching out to help other people. And, and I'm just amazed and, and happy that that is happening. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because if you just follow kind of more altruistic intentions or just looking at it from a macroeconomic, like you just talked about the consequences or building up goodwill, there's, there's a lot of positive incentives to not just wave the contract in there and say breach. Mm. I can see I can see why that's the case. Yep. Now, psychologically, what's happening now then in terms of crisis negotiation? Because I imagine crisis happens, you know, your fight, flight, freeze response is triggered. And I imagine that that's not uh, conducive to positive uh, and rational agreements being made. You, you know what, Thomas? I try to see the positive in people whenever I can. And I honestly believe that, just like we talked about a few minutes ago, that we will change our mindset on how to communicate. It will be more normal to be online. I also truly believe that this crisis, at least for a period, will change our mind on how to deal with each other. Because suddenly, I think we all became human again. We all realized that we are mortal. And we all agreed that Back to what I've been saying several times, we are all in this together. And I actually both hope and believe that majority of organization and people around the world will remember that, at least for a while. So we will have a different approach into negotiation, unless we listen to too many lawyers. But besides that, we will have a different approach into negotiation where we will actually try to help the counterpart out. And obviously, coming from where I'm coming, I hope that will be the norm. Because it would be great if we could actually change the way we think about negotiation. Instead of it's you against me, we are actually a team. And our purpose is just to try and reduce your risk, reduce your cost and improve your profit. And uh, that is basically what I'm seeing we're doing in a, in a time of crisis. And I'm thinking if we're doing it in a time of crisis, why don't we just do that as well when, when the world is normal? Yeah, you're here. Do you think in terms of we're looking at distributed workforce and this um, solidarity principle, does a country like the United States, which is not small and more homogenous like Denmark, does it does it have a chance to uh, be able to execute on that? The level of trust required? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Again, I think a country like Denmark has, it's easier for Denmark to do it. First and foremost, because trust is already higher in Denmark. Yeah. It's a small country. Most people know each other to a certain degree. And if they don't know each other, they know somebody that knows somebody that will know that person. So it's a tribe. And I mean that in the best possible way, because it's a positive tribe. It also has some negative about it, but, but you know all about sure. that. Comparing that to the U.S. is really complicated. 
I would compare Denmark to a state, really. And if you take my state, Arizona, it's about the same population as Denmark. We're about 6 million, 6 point something million, okay. which is a very diverse group of people, though. You know, we have everybody here. But again, I see that trust in the U.S. is a little bit different than trust in Denmark, because you may have an individual trust to other people that is quite high, especially if you know them, but you are organizational trust mm. may be lower. So your trust to, for instance, the federal government right now is low. I just read a study the other day that the trust in the federal government has declined during this crisis, whereas the trust in your local government, your state government, had actually increased. Again, it's not to discuss politics, but that could be pinned down to perhaps Trump himself. I don't know. But it's all down to, you know, really, as I think you pointed out at one point, Thomas, it's, it's, it's a local thing, right? When you have a crisis, yeah. you, you, you group up and, and, and it becomes a local thing. So that was a, a long answer to your question. I believe it's possible in the U.S., but it's going to be way more complicated than it is in Denmark. No doubt about it. Interesting, yeah. And I'll see, you know, the the management style too, you know, mm, the ability to delegate yeah. and to just, you don't have to be yeah. in the office before your manager goes to show that oh, you're, yes. uh, you're loyal to Absolutely. the team. I think that model yeah. may be, mm. maybe you've seen its last days because of this crisis. I actually think so. And another thing I, I've paid attention to in the U.S. in these days, Thomas, is actually I've seen a lot of executive, C-suite uh, executive and CEOs that actually took a pay cut to save employees. And I don't remember I've seen that that clearly. And you see it from organizations as well that you normally wouldn't have seen that. And then you could say, well, if you make $15 million and you cut it down to eight, what, what is the big thing? Well, again, you did take- $7 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I have seen that in so many cases where you actually saw the CEO step out and say, I do a pay cut because we want to save our employees. And that has been a, a different approach than what I've seen earlier, because you know U.S. corporations, they are very tough and very, yeah. very focused on bottom line. And if we don't make money, we just fire a thousand people. That would be the typical approach. But in this crisis, there have been, among a lot of companies, a strong focus on trying to, to keep people employed, which I respect. Yeah, I, th I feel like there's a deeper understanding of the interconnectivity of the entire economic system that we learned from the financial crisis being yeah, dealt with in a different way this time. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. There's a very interesting company in Washington State that is headed by an American by the name of Dan Price, uh, P-R-I-C-E. And I would love everybody to look him up because he's an amazing, amazing executive. He owns a company that handled credit cards payment. And I think it was just last year, he made a minimum wage for every single employee in his company of $70,000. And he took a pay cut just to, to make that possible. He, he was a millionaire already because he sold another company. He has 250 employees right now. And just to make sure that nobody got fired, he actually dropped his own salary completely. And he managed to have his company, there was a lot of his employee that voluntarily came up and said, you know what, don't pay me at all. I just want to make sure everybody stays here. So that's an amazing story. Just Google Dan Price. I'm full of respect. That is amazing. It shows that you're looking at value in a different way sometimes. Yep. yep. It's not a zero-sum game. Well, yep. I am mindful of the time. And I know we just had a few minutes here to talk today. Uh, we could talk for hours, I'm sure. And we're going to have to talk yeah, again, yeah. of course. But any last uh, thoughts or maybe tell our audience uh, where they can find you or read your latest work before we go? 
Google me, kelljensen.com is, is the website. They can look at my online educational program at smartnership.thinkific. That's a terrible uh, name, but that's the name of it.com, but they can find that on the website as well. And the books, obviously, they are accessible from Amazon and they are all there as ebooks as well. So um, if you can't get out, and that goes for a lot of us, you can download whatever you need. So, yep. Excellent. Well, I, I really appreciate you calling in again. And yeah, stay safe over there in Arizona. And uh, hopefully when the borders open up again, we can get you back in Copenhagen. Oh, I I would love that. I would love that. Thanks for having me, Thomas. You're welcome, Kelly. And to our audience, don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, wherever you download or listen to your podcast. Rate, review, tell your friends, whatever you can do to help us continue to grow. And until next time, see you on the GDP. Are you getting the most out of your time in Denmark? Pick up the printed copy of the English language newspaper Copenhagen Post today to access relevant news and event information guaranteed to enhance your working and family life.